0: So we're going to continue with talking about a sure foundation. We began by talking in Hebrews chapter 12 where the writer of Hebrews says to us that at the end, uh, the beginning talks about God's correction, and then at the end it talks about because there's going to come a time when everything that can be shaken will be shaken. So that what is made, what is not of God, what is not eternal, will be separated from what is in our lives that is eternal. And we've discovered that so much of our lives are founded on and depend upon and look to and need things that really are of no real eternal value at all. As I get older, I guess maybe it's because I'm getting older and you've lived longer and you've walked through some things, things that used to be so important to me just don't seem so important anymore I used to get all upset at certain sport teams I won't mention any names when they don't do what you want them to do and it just doesn't matter that much anymore and as you get older and have walked with the Lord longer what begins to matter more and more are relationships and you know what that really is it's a maturing I hope it is it's a maturing to begin to see things more and more the way God sees them and and what's important to him and what's eternal and what's just temporary. You know, sometimes getting ready for church, and I, I, I almost did it this morning because especially if you're running a little late. And you maybe didn't get as much sleep as you want, or, you know, or yesterday was hectic or whatever it is, and you're, those of you that still wear ties, you know, you trying to tie this thing, or ladies, maybe it's getting that last piece of hair where it needs to go or where you want it to go, and it just, it has a mind of its own And my, you know, no matter how many times I tie my tie, the bottom end comes out like that, or, you know, and it's like, and you just... It's just a tie. It's just a tie. And it's funny, you see some of these old movies and they wore them like this anyway. (laughs) That must have been what was in style and, you know, they worked hard to get it so it wasn't like this. I don't know. My point is, it's it's not important. We spend all our energy and get so fretting about things that are just not that important. And the writer of Hebrews says, there's coming a time when there's going to be a shaking And it's God's way of separating out of our lives the things that are not of Him. Not to take things away from us, but to give things to us. See, God, that's why that chapter is so important that it starts with God as a Father who loves us. Whatever he does in our lives is as a father to correct us, to to help us come up and to be more like him and to be in a place where we walk in greater peace and greater security and greater safety. But as a father with infinite knowledge, he knows much more what constitutes that in our lives than what we know. We think we know what will make us happy. We think we know what will make us secure. We think we know, but God knows infinitely better than we do. And the question is, are we going to be children that will allow our Father to correct us so that we can come to that place of peace and of blessing and of security? So when he shakes things, it's not to make us less secure, it's to separate out the things that aren't secure out of our lives so that we have our lives built on things that are secure. And then we looked quickly at 2 Corinthians 13.5 where Paul talks about, to them, you need to examine yourself, the church at Corinth, whether you really are in the faith. We use that scripture to kind of challenge us that we need to examine ourselves to see what is really, what are, the fa- what are the things we've built our life on? What are the foundations of our life? And then we went over here to Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to read down through it. I want to make just kind of a preliminary comment because I don't want... I don't cuz I know how the enemy works. I've sat out there under messages like this before and I've heard condemnation instead of instead of correction. I've heard condemnation, I've heard fear instead of instead of encouragement. So we're going to read down through this. These are still to me some of the most powerful verses in the Bible to me. Confronting but causing me to grow. Jesus says this. He's just finished talking about false prophets the kind of fruit that your life bears. Then he goes into verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to you, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. What we've talked about at this point here is Jesus is saying He's saying, just because what you call me, what you say, doesn't determine where you are. It's not the words of our mouth, it's also what's in our heart. And this is what he's talking about. Many will call me Lord, Lord, but they don't do the will of my Father. And we've talked about that. It's very clear, it's a specific thing he's saying. He's talking about an inner attitude. Because what he's saying here is it's not what you do for me. It's not what you do for my father. It's not what you call me. It's the attitude you have towards me. It's the attitude you have towards who my father is in your life. What place he has in your life. That's the foundation. Because he says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, have we not done these things for you? Have we not cast out demons? Have we not? Well, I was going to read it. Instead of quoting it, let me read it to you. Because I'll start preaching it if I don't read it. Many will say to me, verse 22, Lord, Lord, have you not prophesied, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many things in your name? Then I will declare to them, depart from me, depart, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, we're teaching this, and listen very carefully, not from the point of view of your salvation. Jesus was addressing here, False prophets, people who were saying things for God, doing things for God, but their heart was not submitted to Him. Says, You call me Lord, Lord, but you he said, "You, You know, you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do the will of my Father. Instead, you do things for him, but your heart is not submitted to him. Now let me tell you what it does not say. It does not say, Depart from me, you who are not perfect. He's not talking here about being perfect. You never will be until you get to heaven. So He's not talking about being perfect. He's talking about the inner attitude of our heart towards what place have we given God in our life. And God's speaking to us because He wants us to open the door of our heart and allow Him a place in our life that many of us, most of us, perhaps all of us, have not fully given Him yet. Why? Because He wants to do some things in our lives that He cannot do unless we fully give Him that place. He can only be in your life what you allow Him to be. I grew up in church. I wasn't in it all the time, but I grew up. I was faithful. I was, we went to church, I, you know, and when I got in my older years and we were married, I was a deacon in the church and I, you know... I, I knew the Bible. I mean, I read didn't read a lot, but I, I knew some things that were in it. I knew John 3, 16. I knew, for God so loved the world, he gave his own. I didn't even preach a sermon in that church. I don't want to ever go back and never want to go back and listen to what that was. I wasn't saved and I was given a sermon in the church, but then again, the pastor wasn't either. So, I didn't know that and I'm sure he didn't know that, but I could tell the difference once I was saved. And, and I did all those things and yet I didn't know Jesus. I knew who he was. I knew he was the Son of God. I knew he died for my sins. I knew he died. But I had never allowed him into my life to be my Savior. Until one night in my living room, about one in the morning, I stood there and I opened that door of my heart just a little bit and I asked him to personally come. I now allowed him a place in my life that I had never allowed before. He changed me eternally by doing that. And so people can know who he is, they can talk about him, they can say who he is, and their church is filled with people today that are doing just that, but they've never allowed him to be Savior in their heart. And what he's talking about here is allowing him to be Lord in my heart. So the distinction he draws is he says, you do things for me, but you've not submitted to do my Father's will, whatever that may be. We exercise our own independent judgment about what's right and wrong or what I'm going to do instead of saying, God, whatever, be it done unto me according to your will. Because notice at the end of that verse 22, he says, you who practice lawlessness. Lawlessness means I decide, I'm the ultimate authority of what's right and wrong in my life. I'm the ultimate authority of what God's word means. I'm the ultimate authority. I'll listen to what God has to say. I'll listen to what you have to say. But I reserve the right because I have the right. I'm my own person. I have the right to decide for myself. That's lawlessness. That's saying, I have a higher authority in my life than you do, God. That's what happened in the garden in Genesis chapter 3. And that's the issue here. And now he goes on to talk about foundations. Therefore, whoever does these sayings of mine, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and they beat on the house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on a rock on the rock, the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not, does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew, the beat on the house and fell and great was its fall. So what Jesus is saying here, and we've talked about this before. Same contractor, same building plans, same materials, same house, two different ones, in the same storm one fell and one stood. It was a shaking caused by a storm. And Jesus is saying the difference between the one that stood strong in the storm and the one that fell was the foundation on which it was built. And he's telling us here the foundation that causes your life to stand is the plate when the Word of God has is the authority in your life. And I shared with you quickly, we've gone over it several times, The story of my grandfather's house that he built on the Jersey Shore on the sand, but he didn't build it on the sand. He built it on pilings that were driven in, down into the sand. And when the hurricane came that year, the houses around went, but his stood because it wasn't founded on the sand. It was sitting on sand, but the security, what that house was trusting in, was the pilings driven down deep to the bedrock. And that's what the principle that Jesus is teaching here. So we're looking at it not from the point of view of condemning or or God's angry at us and God's about to say, you folks over here, get out of here, I don't want to see you because I know how the enemy can talk to us. But God wants to bring correction into our lives because he's something he wants to do in your life to bring you to another level. We've We've got to give him access into our heart by being open to hear something we may not want to hear but have to trust him enough to let him do that be kind of like going in for surgery and you don't really trust the surgeon, so you want to stay awake and you want to have a voice in what he's doing. So you want a mirror up there? No, don't do that, you know. (laughs) You wouldn't do that. Put me out. (laughs) Don't give me a lot of information. Wake me up when the sword. you know, we we want to do, but you've got to trust that surgeon. I mean, if they're wheeling you in there and he's shaking, you know, like this, you know, he's, he's got a tremor in his hand, you know, and he says, uh, w- what are we supposed to do? You don't trust him. But when he comes to you in that wonderful bedside manner and said, everything's going to be fine, I've done this thousands of times, I know just, you know, I've written the book on it, you know, all, you know, you ah, oh, well, I can trust How much more should we be able to trust God, the master surgeon? How much more should we be able to trust ourselves, our souls, our hearts to God who knows everything about you already and still loves you, still sent his son to die for you? We ought to be able to trust ourselves to him, amen, amen. 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 All right, what we're going to begin to look at today We're going to begin to look at, all right, we're looking at foundations, the foundation of my life. We're going to look today at those things that we tend, because I want you to become sensitive in your own life to those things that you are trusting in. Because I'll venture to say that none of us are completely trusting in God's Word as the foundation of our life at this point, including me. I know I'm not all there. I've got a long way to go, but I'm willing and I want to. And I can see the things that God wants to do in my life now more than I ever have. And we're going to look at why God needs this, be able to speak into our lives this way because He wants to reveal some things to us about who He really is and about who you really are and about what He really wants to do for you. And so we need to be able to be open. We need to be open to allow, because God uses His Word to do that. So we're going to look at some things that we, we trust in And what happens when we do that? Turn with me, first of all, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Now, Paul's talking here. Actually, he's bringing some correction to them. And Paul's, Paul's talking at the end of chapter 3 about a process by which God causes us to grow and mature, and it's the Word working in us, taking us from glory, one level of glory, to another level of glory, as the veil that blinds us from seeing who God is and the veil that blinds us from seeing who we are is removed. And then he talks in the beginning of this chapter about not perverting or adulterating the Word of God. I did not come to you in a... In other words, I didn't use the Word of God for my own purposes, but I took the Word of God just for what it is and told you exactly what it says. And one of the things we've looked at is that we tend to do is we take God's Word, and as long as God's Word is... When, when God's Word is not the authority of my life, when I don't like what God's Word says, I start changing it. I mean, I don't like... I erase it in my Bible... I had a, the, the man that led us to the Lord and was a pastor that I served on one point as a gift gave me a, a loose leaf Bible and the, the purpose of it was you would be able to separate it and put pages in that you could write on now isn't it interesting that's kind of how a lot of people see the word well I like, you know God will supply all my needs according to riches and glory by Christ Jesus but given will be given I don't like that one let's take that one out, you know we want to have our own edited version of the Bible I like these scriptures I don't like these scriptures I don't, you know that, you know those little promise boxes and books, they're wonderful things, but both basically there were people going through and chosen what I, you want to hear or I've chosen what I want to hear. So I've left out the Brussels sprouts and uh, the, 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 the spinach and the things I may not like because I want to go right to the, the cheesecake and the ice cream and the things that taste good and we like to eat. And, and the whole thing's what's good for us. And when I do that, I'm in charge of the process instead of letting the Holy Spirit being in charge of the process. So Paul talks at the beginning of this, of this chapter about I did not come to you doing that. I came to you with the Word of God and I taught you the Word of God just as it is. But I want to pick up, because now he's going to give a little bit of his testimony here, kind of as a comparison for them so they can remember, remind themselves of, of who he is, who he, what he's done. We're going to pick up in verse 8. For we are hard-pressed on every side, yet we're not crushed. Ever feel that way? We're perplexed. This is the Apostle Paul? Now, he went through some difficult challenges because to bring the gospel to the pagan world, he was opposed. And anytime you start bringing the gospel where the devil is, you will be opposed. And Paul, Jesus tells us that's going to happen. And so Paul's talking about some of the pressures he went through, some of the shaking that went on in his life. We're hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We're perplexed. We're confused, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We've been struck down, but we're not destroyed always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be manifest in your body. For we we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal bodies. So then death is working in us, but life in you. Since then we have the same spirit of faith according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke, We also believe, and therefore we speak. And this is it. Knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with him and will present us with you. For all these things are for your sake that grace may be spread through the many and may cause the thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. What's that all about? Paul's talking about some of the pressure he's gone through, some of the shaking he's gone through, not because he was disobedient, but because in the acting out of his obedience, he ran into opposition. And Paul, I love the Bible, Paul's human. Paul didn't just say, hey, I went through this. No sweat, so can you. So they beat me five times with 39 39 hits of the rod. So I spent a night and a day in the deep. So I was without food at times. So all that happened. Big deal. I had no problem at all. No. He said I was beaten down, but I wasn't destroyed. I knew every time, every moment exactly what the purpose was. No, Paul says, there were times I was perplexed. I didn't know what's going on here. Paul. But I was never in despair. No matter what happened to me, no matter what tried to shake my life, I went through it and I felt it, but it never ultimately stopped me. It never ultimately stopped me. Why? Because the foundation of his life was not based on anything that was shaken. His life was not founded on whether people liked him or not. The Bible tells us that if you, if your life is built on whether other people like you or not, you're in trouble. Because the enemy already knows the door through which to drive everything to stop you. And I used to be like that. I used to preach my heart out in the other church that we had years ago. And I'd have, you know, I mean, everybody comes up, boy, Pastor, that was great. And the last person just kind of gives me a funny look. It ruined everything for me. Because <laughs> I was depending on what people thought of me. There are times I said, God, you knew me. When you made me a pastor and I needed people's approval that much, wow. and see, this is a great example. Because of what the Lord says, it was an o- this is an opportunity for you to get over that. This is an opportunity for you. Because see, God often puts you in circumstances that aren't comfortable for you, that don't fit what you think you're like. Why? Because He wants you to grow. We don't grow by being around people that are just like us. We don't grow by being comfortable. We only grow by being uncomfortable. By having to do things we don't want to do. It's called discipline, called training. In basic training, everything is something you don't want to do. They design it to make you do things you don't want to do because that's the issue to them. The issue isn't whether you can march straight because out in battle, you don't march. <laughs> you don't wear your best uniform, but they make you do that because they're training you to do things you don't want to do longer than you think you can do them. And God is the master trainer. God is a master trainer. So Paul learned the reason these things did not shake him. They may move him, but they didn't shake him because his life was not founded on those things. So Satan couldn't take anything away from him. Satan couldn't destroy anything in his life that would shake him because his life was not based on any of those things. All right. What was it based on? And here's one of the keys. Verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, but the inner man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is just for a moment... Did you just go back and read some of those things he went through? Our light affliction, which is just for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding weight of glory. Paul was basing his life... Not on the circumstances of the world that was around him, not by whether he was with people that liked him or didn't like him, not by whether he had a lot or he had a little in the bank, not by whether he was was sleeping in you know a western five star hotel or he was in some flea bag over in Bangladesh. None of that mattered to him i'm sure he liked the Weston better than the flea bag, but it didn't shake him wherever he was, because his life was not founded on that. His life was founded on... That's why Paul saw everything he went through is a momentary. That's talking about the time you're going through it. As a momentary, and then he said, light, affliction, being beaten with with rods for, for preaching Christ, being excommunicated from the church, Everybody walked, turned away from Him at one point. And at the end of His ministry, all those people in Asia Minor that He did all this for, they all walked away from the Lord anyway. But if you read the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy, he's not discouraged and downcast. He's not saying, what did I do all this for? I gave all this up for those people and they turned away. Oh my. He's, see, He didn't do it for them. He did it for His Lord. Paul's whole folk, he loved those people, he cared for them, just read some of those letters written to them. But that's not what he was... It was not their approval that he was looking for, that he needed. It was not even the success of his ministry that his life was founded on. Because at the end, in some cases, it looked as if he failed. If Jesus looked at his ministry from a natural point of view... It looked like a disaster at the end. He trained them, disciplined them, taught them, demonstrated miracles, had them perform miracles, goes to the cross, is raised from the dead. They're still not sure who He is. They've gone back fishing. And this is the foundation of the church? But see, Jesus knew that the strength of the church was not going to be in Peter and James and John. That's why he told them, wait in Jerusalem because you don't have enough yet until you're endued with power from on high. And that's when things changed. That's when timid, scared Peter became bold. That's when the apostle John flowed in love. That's when all these things began to change. The foundation of Paul's life was none of those circumstances. So Paul could look at everything he'd been through, the scars on his arms and the the memories of imprisonment and and some of those things and he can call them momentary. Light. Afflictions. Why? Because they're earning for me, he says, an, an eternal, that's the length of time, weight, heaviness, value, weight of glory. Now, how can he walk through life doing that? Because it wasn't by looking in his bank account. It wasn't by looking at his fine clothes. This is how he could do it. Verse 18. While we look not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporary. So the, 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 the affliction that Paul was going through was something that his senses could detect. He could see the bruises on his arm. He could see and hear the yelling and the screaming and the opposition of the religious leaders. He could hear their threats he could feel the coldness and the dampness of the prison and the the heaviness of the chains that were around his wrist for all of it he could feel all those things but they didn't they tried to speak to him failure they tried to speak to him you're not going to make it they tried to communicate a message to him but he didn't pay attention to those things why because he wasn't looking at those things he wasn't looking at things that are seen and when he says looking here he doesn't mean with the eye, these eyes because how can you look at things that are not seen? The word looking means here, depending upon, relying upon, trusting in. He said, those natural circumstances that I'm in, I'm not counting on those things. I'm not looking to them. I'm not relying upon them. For we look not at the things that are seen. The word seen isn't just these eyes. It has to do with our, all our senses. For we look not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal. So the first thing we build our lives on, we're trained to build our lives on, are our senses and trust in our senses. Now, when it comes to driving home today, trust your senses. When you pull out on 195 and your senses tell you there's an 18-wheeler bearing down on you, trust them. Because that's, you know, that's a natural affair of life. But when the Word of God says something that's contrary to what your senses tell you, you have a choice to decide which one you're going to Believe. And if you have learned and are, learn or are learning to base your life founded on what God's Word says, then one of the things you're going to have to at some point deal with is what happens when the Word of God says one thing and your senses are screaming at you something else. One of the ways to find out what you're trusting is is when a crisis suddenly arises most of them don't come up slowly. They just suddenly appear. with a phone call, somebody knocks on your door and you get a bit of bad news. And it may be a lot of bad news and it may be piled on other bad news that you've got. And your mind immediately goes to something to decide how you're going to handle it. For some of us, it's just a scream and yell and cry. That's what some of you have been trained to do. Some of us have been trained in our mind to go figure out, how am I going to get out of this? What am I going to do? Whatever it is you turn to, that's what you're building, you built your life on. Whatever you first turn to in a crisis, now I don't mean the first moment, because there's a wonderful story in the Old Testament, 1 Chronicles chapter 20, the story of King Jehoshaphat, a good king, a righteous king who loved God and put God first in most ways. gets up one day and is his men come to him and tell him, you, we got a slight problem. Actually, sir, we have three problems. We have three armies. We've gotten, word are bearing down to destroy us and we're vastly outnumbered. Jehoshaphat was real and the Bible's real. It says, and he was afraid. Fear is a normal reaction. It's what you do with it that counts. Fear's trying to tell you something. In this case, it's telling him, you're you're meat, you're dead meat, you're you're going to be destroyed, your army, your, your kingdom, everything you have is going to be destroyed, your children are going to be destroyed, and you're going to end up being either killed or incarcerated. It's all over with you, just pack your bags because you're going home. I mean, it's over with. And it says, Jehoshaphat feared, but then he turned to seek the Lord, to find out what God had to say, what God had to say what God had to say. And what he did in that case is he called the National Day of Fast and the whole nation came together to seek God of what they should do. And God gave them a strategy by which God caused, we prayed this earlier, by which God caused the enemy to be confused, destroy each other, and they went in and took them three days to pick up the spoils. And if any of them were cut or injured, it was in the process of picking up the spoils, not in a battle. Because God said, the battle's mine. It's not yours. I will fight for you. You just go out and worship me at the battlefield and I will fight for you. That was God's strategy. God had an answer. But the point is Jehoshaphat had learned to trust ultimately not in his own reasoning, not in his own senses. Were those armies real? They sure were. Is that diagnosis the doctor gave you real? It may well be. Is that tumor they found cancerous? It may be, but that's not the final word. That's not the final word. But if you've built your life trusting in what science tells you, if you've built, not that it's wrong, it's when it contradicts God's Word, God's Word has to prevail if that's the foundation of my life. So the first thing we have to deal with, the first foundation or part, because often these are mixed together, part of that foundation on which most of us have built our life is trusting and relying on our senses. What about Peter? We talked about him two weeks ago when he's out in the storm, and Jesus says, come in the middle of the storm, because Jesus is walking on the water. And we saw Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water. We know he sunk, but he walked on the water. He didn't go out and go down. He walked on the word come. He walked on the power and authority of Jesus' word, because he trusted in that word for a few moments at least, more than he trusted in his senses. But then it says, he began to notice the wind and the waves. Remember that? He began to... In other words, he started to pay attention to what his senses told him. Now, the wind and the waves had been flared up all along before Jesus even got there. But he stopped focusing... He stopped putting his ultimate trust in Jesus' word and began to consider the wind and the waves. Now, Jesus' word, come, says you can walk on water. The wind and the waves are saying you can't. So there's a conflict of authority here. And for a little while, Peter gave Jesus' words, Greater authority in his life than the authority of his senses, but he wasn't trained enough in it, so he got out there somewhere and probably started thinking, Yo, I don't, I, look where I am. See, the moment you start looking where you are, but as long as your eyes are in Jesus, you're not paying attention to where you are and he'll, get, he'll have you walking in places you never dreamed you could walk in and you're walking over circumstances you never dreamed you could walk over because your eyes are on him. The moment you start thinking about, hey, I wonder how much progress I'm getting, shoo, he went down. Why? Because he started looking at himself and when he looked at himself, he became aware of the wind and the waves. They'd been blowing all along. Now the wind and the waves told him, you can't do this. This just shows you how our thinking doesn't make sense when it comes to God's Word. Because now he's thinking, it's rough out here. The waves are high and the winds are blowing strong. I can't do this. Now, let me ask you this question. Is it easier to walk on smooth water than rough water? Because if you think so, we got a pond out here that's nice and smooth. What did the wind and waves have to do with it? But in our natural thinking and senses, wind and waves tell you, you're going to go down, you're in trouble. It was the wind and waves he was paying attention to when he was in the safety of the boat. And if you're going to trust in the safety of the boat, you better pay attention to the wind and the waves. But if you're out on the word come, the wind and the waves have nothing to do with it. So the first thing that we are, has been built into our lives are our natural senses, the tendency to trust and believe our natural senses. On 195, believe them. But when it comes to God's Word saying something and your senses disagreeing with them, you've got to learn to depend on your, God's Word and that's something you develop, you train yourself in by doing it over and over and over again. Let's look at the second one. Proverbs chapter 3. And these tend to go together. Verse 1. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commandments. So he's talking about God's Word, keeping God's Word, just as Jesus did. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. So by... by, by Building my life on the authority of God's Word, there are promises here that length of days and long life and peace will be added to it. Let not mercy or truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablets of your heart so you'll find favor and high esteem in the sight of God. Verse 5. Which is why, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and he shall direct your path. Stop there a second. So the second thing we're told, we're told by, by Solomon in Proverbs, is that we tend to build our lives on our own understanding, and this really plays havoc with the Word of God as the foundation of our lives. And I, I do now. Some people, some of your training and some of your background, you don't need to understand everything. You know, but I, my, that was the way I was trained. That's the way my legal training is, to understand it so that I can ar- use it as an argument or draft a document around it. And it's just the bent of my mind. And my wife will tell you it's bent because of that. <laughs> and there is a bend to it. I've had to learn to understand. But that need to understand things is what I trusted in. So if I didn't understand it, I didn't accept it. So the doorway into, into my heart used to come through my, and ha- still does to some extent, my having to understand it. But the Bible says don't trust in. doesn't mean you shouldn't understand things. doesn't mean we can't understand things. Because as a teacher, that's the teachings based on understanding things so that you can explain what you have now have understanding of. The difference is whether you trust in it because trust is referring to what the foundation of your life is built on. See, my grandfather's house was not trusting in the sand, although it was sitting on it. It was trusting for its security in the pilings that were driven down into the sand. So it's, it's wonderful to understand things, but if that's what you're trusting in, that's what I trusted in, I still deal with this to some time. Trust in, he says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, know him, and then he's able to direct your path. Which implies that if I'm relying, if I have to understand everything before I do it, he can't direct my path. The only way God can direct my life and my path is if I'm not trusting in my understanding. Because if I'm trusting in my own understanding, then really I'm trusting in myself. And I can't be trusting in myself and in Him. Amen. I can't be trusting in myself and in Him. Joe, come up here a second. Why don't you stand right there? I've done this before. Just you no, know, You're going to be an usher to me, all right? A small one. You're, you're God okay? <laughs> don't, don't let it go to your head all right? you're God all right? now here's what so many of us do he says trust in the Lord with all your heart lean not to your own understanding right now I'm trusting in my feet to hold me up but I can lean towards him and he's, he's God in this case just in this case I can, lean, I can lean towards Him a long way, but I'm not leaning on Him. I'm still trusting in my feet to hold me up. So don't look at what you're leaning towards. Look at what you're trusting in. There comes a point, like Peter on the edge of the boat, and I'm still fighting it. My, I'm fighting it because I've got to know whether I can trust myself to him. Now, I'm resting on him. Now, listen carefully. I'm resting, and if, if he's strong enough and faithful enough, I'm okay. But if I can't trust him, I'm not going to lean back. I'm going to lean towards, but I'm not going to rest in him. Thank you, Joe. So we're looking at examining the foundation of our life and that involves looking, what am I trusting in? When things go wrong, am I leaning towards God? And there's all kind of subtle ways. But I'm reading his Bible. I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to do. I'm leaning towards him. But this is an issue. This whole thing has to do with the heart. This whole thing that God works to work in us because the foundation of your life is in your heart. The foundation of my body is my feet, but the foundation of my life, my soul, is in my heart. What's my heart resting in and trusting? in? this is why Jesus talks in Matthew chapter 6 and tells us not to be anxious for what we're going to eat or what we're going to wear. Don't be anxious about the things of life. Don't you know your Father knows what you need before you ask? He says, look at the birds, the air. They gather. They're not panicked. They're not sitting up there wringing their wings saying, "Ah, I don't know where we're going to get our next meal. Look at the lilies of the field. God clothes them and they're here today and gone tomorrow. Well, what's all this about? He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. That whole section of scripture is about what our heart is seeking after, what it's trusting in, what he's relying on. And God's talking to us. If it's not ultimately on the Word of God, then it's on a shaky foundation. Let's look at a third thing. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul's here talking about spiritual warfare, but it's against, it's not just against demonic things. Verse 4, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down, the King James says, imaginations in every high thing. New King James says, arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. The word arguments there is a word that refers to a system of thinking. It's a word that refers to a system of thinking such as a philosophy or a religion or a concept of God, something that is a a way of looking at at God as 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 a system. And he says, look, we're coming, we're casting these down. And every high thing, the word high thing there in Greek refers to supernatural powers that are arrogant that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. What he's talking about here, he's addressing specifically pagan religious practices, religious practices, really, religious ideas of God, whether they were the philosophies of the, of the Greeks, which is where Corinth was. And he says, these ways of thinking that man has come up with exalt themselves They look proudly down upon and arrogantly at the knowledge of God. And my goodness, are we living in a day and age where that's true. I'm going to show you another verse where Jesus talks about this. Let's go to Mark chapter 7. Verse 1, the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come to Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they came from the marketplace... They do not eat unless they wash and there are many other things which they have received and hold on to like the washing of cups and pitchers and copper vessels and their couches, their seats. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of elders but they eat bread with unwashed hands? Now what this is referring to is that the Pharisees by this time and the the scribes had taken the provisions of the law, the Ten Commandments and then the other provisions that God handed down to Moses on Mount Sinai, and they expanded them to well over 600 tiny little rules about wash the cup a certain way and do this a certain way. You've got to do this in just that order. And they were so focused on those things, they lost complete sight with the issues of the heart. I mean, they got the Sabbath was instituted by God. That's, the, that's one of the Ten Commandments. But Jesus healed people on the Sabbath and they got mad at Him for healing on the Sabbath because He broke God's law. This is the Son of God. broke God's law and Jesus gets upset at them. I think He did it on the Sabbath on purpose Jesus gets upset at them because they care more about obeying the, the legal requirements of the law than they do this person that's dying of leprosy they care more about the rules than people and God cares about people and the rules are given to help us prosper as people but not to keep us keep him from people And so Jesus, they're coming to to criticize the Son of God because He's not keeping God's rules. And they're proud, and they're proud with how carefully they observe all these things. And they look down on people that don't. And oh, do we have to be careful of that. They look down on people that don't keep them as well as they do because they keep them... So they're criticizing the Son of God because He's not keeping the law as well as they do. Ooh. But see, that's what pride will do. Pride will blind you to the point where you become arrogant before God and you tell Him what he, who He is and what He needs to do. That's what they were doing. They were criticizing God because they knew better. And we've all done that to some degree. All right, we'll look at that down the road. Let's see Jesus' answer. And he answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, This people honors me with their lips. They call him Lord, Lord. But their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. They're worshiping. Jesus in Matthew 7 says, They're calling me Lord, Lord, but there's a heart issue here. Their heart's not submitted to do the will of my Father. That's in Matthew 7. Here he's saying, Isaiah spoke of you. and Isaiah's generation was like this also. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain, therefore, do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. "...for laying aside the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers, the cups, and many other such things you do. And he said to them, All too well do you reject the commandment of God, that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother. He who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. But what you say is, If a man honors his father and mother... Whatever profit you may receive from me is korban or it's a gift to God. In other words, I'm going to honor my father and mother, but I'm going to keep a part of it out of it so that I can give to God. In other words, I'll take what God says, but I'm 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 going to interpret it this way so that I can keep part of it aside. Kind of like King Saul when God said, Utterly destroy King Agag and all the Amalekites. And when... Saul, God sent Samuel to give an account for Saul to give an account he said well I, 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 you know, we completely obeyed God because we did basically what God said God said to get rid of everything and we got rid of all and we just kept the best of the sheep so that we could make an offering to God so we took what God said and we figured out what he meant and what was a good idea to, so together God and, and I have figured out how to do this and that reflects an attitude about God that He's smarter than I am, He's wiser than I am, He's stronger than I am, He's better than I am, but I'm somewhere in there. I'm somewhere in His league where I can at least put my two cents in. Because together, we're going to come up with the right thing to do. I don't understand who God is when that's my attitude. God is Adonai. He is Lord. Lord. And because he's Lord, obedience means exactly what he says. Not what he says with this adjustment to it, which is what they were doing. They were honoring their father and mother, but they were pulling part of it aside on the pretext that they were going to give this to God and honor God with it. And so Paul, Jesus is saying... What you've done is you've taken the commandments of God and you've adjusted them. You've added to them, taken away, adjusted their focus. You've taken God's commandments and you've made some adjustments to it either because you thought better or because you don't want the full impact of them. And look at what Jesus says about that. Verse 12 then you no longer let him do anything for his father and mother. Verse 13, making the word of God of no effect. Your traditions which you've handed down and many such things do you do. What he's saying is when we take God's word and we do anything else with it other than accept it as the word of God, we're making it of no effect in our life. God wants an effect in your life, in my life. God wants when we speak His words with authority, things happen and we wonder, why don't they? Because His word coming out of my mouth can have no greater authority than His word coming into my heart. The centurion said, I know you don't need to come and lay hands on my servant because I recognize that you are somebody under authority and in authority. Why do I recognize that? Because I'm also somebody under authority and therefore I can operate in authority. The world desperately needs the church to walk in the authority of a believer. But we can't pour out of us something we haven't received in us. Not that's supernatural. So this second thing is the traditions of men. And a tradition, a religious tradition is where we take what God said and we either adjust it, because we know a better way of doing it, or we add something to it, where we take what God has given and we've adjusted it to improve it. Just as God told Moses, when you build an altar to me, either make it of dirt or make it of stone, because the moment you cut that stone with a tool... You have profaned it. You have added something of yours to something that I gave you. And when we a tradition say, well, you know, we don't we don't have traditions. Oh, sure we do. Some of you have come from churches where you're steeped in tradition. You stand when you're supposed to stand. You bow when you're supposed to stand. You say the words what you're supposed to say. All these traditions. And I was raised in some of a different tradition than you were, but in traditions that many of you were raised in. And there's nothing wrong with tradition as long as it's not dictating. God's word to us. And Paul says, that, or Jesus says, the traditions of man, our way, which is my way of understanding God. God has to be this. God would never do these things. And I'll show you, I've mentioned this to you, how far, to what an extreme that can go because there's entire churches in this country that now, well-known preachers, preaching that God, because God is love, therefore he would never send anyone to hell. Therefore, there cannot really be a hell. There cannot really be people in hell because God's so good, He, oh, He'll threaten us with it because just to get us to shape up, but He doesn't mean what He says. Oh. See, the moment you start getting off the Word, the moment you start adding anything of your own or accepting something someone else has added of their own, the moment you get off course a little bit, you're destined to go way off course and... Some people can tell you what the, there's a formula for that when it comes to flying. But the moment you get off the Word and you add anything yourself, now you're getting into deception. James 1.22. We'll talk about that down the road. The traditions of man make of no effect the Word of God in my life because God's not speaking. See, the moment I add to God's Word, it's not God speaking now. It's my interpretation of God. I'm now God in my life and I'm not letting him be. I'll close with this example. It's in Luke chapter 5. It's the story of Jesus coming to Peter's town. Peter's been out fishing all night. He comes back with his company of men, and Jesus is on the shore and asked to borrow his boat. Luke Luke chapter 5 to go out and fish out and preach he goes out and preaches comes back in he says Peter he's going to reward Peter he says Peter go out and throw down your nets and catch a draft of fish Peter says "But, but teacher he says we fished all night and we didn't catch anything but then looks at him he says but nevertheless at your word I'm going to go. Peter's experience, his senses told him there was no fish out there. He's just come back. His experience, his training, his reasonings tell him, you don't catch fish this time of day. That's why we were out last night. But in spite of what his senses tell him, in spite of what all of his experience and reasoning tell him, His traditions would have told him not to go out because he's a fisherman. This is a carpenter. He's a landlubber. He's a carpenter and he's a rabbi. He's a religious carpenter. On top of that, I'm a fisherman. I'm not going to listen to him. But he put his, his senses aside. He put his traditions aside. He put his reasoning aside and said... They're all real to me, but nevertheless, I'm going to step out on what you've told me to do. And when he comes back in with a collection of fish with a huge catch of fish, if you read the story, he now looks at him and he calls him Lord. What's happened? Because Peter was willing to put a, Peter was willing to put aside his senses, put aside his reasonings put aside his traditions and begin to step out on the word of Jesus, he began to get a revelation of who Jesus was. Jesus could now begin to reveal to Peter who he really is that you couldn't see with your natural senses, that his traditions would have blocked him. Oh, he's just a carpenter. He's just a teacher. All those things that were in Peter's mind and background on which he stood were blocking him from understanding and receiving a revelation of who this man was. But the moment he stepped out of those things, out onto what Jesus said to do, now Jesus could... It was an opening to reveal who he was. Not just that. Once he was open to who Jesus is, Jesus now says, up until this time, you've been a fisher of fish. From today on, I'm changing your destiny. You are going to step into what you've been made by God to do. You're not made any longer by God to catch fish. Little finny fish, you're now made to catch men as fish. None of that would have happened if Peter held on to what his senses told him. Peter held on to his tradition. Peter held on to his reasonings. But because he was willing to allow just the simple word of God, do something that doesn't make sense to your senses. Do something that doesn't make sense to your reasoning. Do something that violates your traditions. But do it because God said so. The moment he stepped out on that, it became clear to him that this rabbi was God. And because he now had that open revelation, God could now reveal to him who he made him to be. The reason God wants us to make this adjustment because of what he wants to do in our lives. What he's called us to be and to do and to know him and to worship him. Let's pray. Father, will you just stand in awe of who you are and what you've done. And as we prepare in a few moments to leave from this place, we come in these moments we have left as a congregation And we acknowledge that none of us are where we need to be in all of this because you're our Father who loves us. You're speaking to us by your Spirit because there are things you want to do in our lives. There's things you've called us to be and you want us to worship you in levels we've never worshiped and stepped into before because we've never seen you at that level. And untold things you want to do that all come from allowing you a place in our lives you've not yet had so our prayer today father is that in this week that lies ahead that your precious spirit would take the things that have been said and have been touched our hearts and we begin to work them in our lives work them in our hearts and just lord open our eyes to see truth open our eyes to see truth and we thank you for that in Jesus' name